Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen podcast. Andy Benori, my friend Greg Cosell. Hit that subscribe button. Greg, you just taped the matchup show. I just dressed like I normally dress, and so now we have an imbalance of power right here. Yeah, well, you know, I figured see, we need to bring a little class to the operation, Andy. So, you know, I figured I'd keep my coat and tie on for the, for the uh, show today. So right before we started recording, uh, you and I hopped on and, and shared some film together because we each had a question about a coverage, and it actually happened to be the same game. I had a question on Tennessee's uh, defense against Jacksonville's offense. You were the other side of the ball. I wanted to discuss Tennessee anyway because I know you watch a lot of their film. I've seen a good yeah, amount of them this year. The broad question, we can get into their offensive line if we want. I mean, that's that's the obvious wart on that team right now. I guess the broad question overall, are they an underachieving team this season? I mean, certainly they feel their record should be better than it is, or they're better than their, you know, they're a playoff team, I'm sure, in their mind. Their roster talent relative to where they've been, I feel like they've been an overachieving team for a lot of years, and now they're not anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can dismiss the O-line question that easily, though, because you know, I think when you don't have a good O-line, and by the way, they're not just an average O-line, they're a really below average O-line. Um, yeah. That probably needs a significant makeover for next season. Um, it, keep in mind that they played and were built a certain way for years. They were a team built on running the football with Derrick Henry as the starting point and the foundation, and everything happened off of that including their defense, which for years had been good, but they were able to control the pace and tempo of games. Therefore, their defense rarely got stuck in situations where they had to play too many snaps. Um, and therefore, there was a really nice balance between what they did offensively and what they were able to do defensively. And yeah. that balance is totally gone, but you can't change an entire mindset in the course in the middle of a season because they went into this year – clearly with the idea that that would kind of be what they are. Um, you know, maybe they wanted to add a little bit to the passing game. Clearly they signed Hopkins and they figured that Traylon Burks in his second year, um, the, the Arkansas product would, would get better, but they weren't going to dramatically change Andy, what they generally are. And now everything is not like that. So, you know, I don't think they're an underachieving team. I think in some ways it all kind of fell apart. You know, it, it's I guess it's just like a person. You have a certain sense of yourself. And all of a sudden, if that's totally blown up, you're just not sure who you are right now. I don't know if they know what they are and what they can do in a given game. They're trying to sur to survive games. It's hard for them to be proactive. They're just trying to survive games. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way to say that. And one of the things I wrote in my notes last night watching their film was just their offensive line is very bad, and they clearly know it. I mean, going into the games, you're yes. seeing now the, the game plans are built around hiding parts of the offensive line. Well, they played six offensive linemen on eight snaps. They still play a ton of two and three tight ends. They're, there's a ton of tight and reduced formations. They know that they just can't play with those five, that they have to help those five. And the thing that may be overlooked by a lot of people is when you do that, is that so limits what you can do formationally, what you can do from a scheme standpoint, a play concept standpoint. It just shrinks your entire offensive menu. Well, and the other part of their offense, on top of all that, they don't have anyone that takes the top off the defense. They don't have any vertical speed 
anywhere. And I don't know was it with Traylon Burks, and I know yeah, he hasn't been healthy lately. Was he what was he coming out? Because he does not look to me like a not a bad receiver, but he he's not a speed element in the offense at all. And Hopkins, obviously, that's never been his game. No. What, well, how do they, they did sign Chris Moore. Yeah, they signed Chris Moore in the offseason. And again, he, he does have some speed, but he's probably not if all things are going the way they'd want them to go, Chris Moore would not be one of their top three. So he really wouldn't be playing if everything went according to plan. Burks was interesting because he did run by people in the SEC at Arkansas, but I don't know if you could view him as a true vertical dimension. The only way you think of him in that way is because he's 6'3", and therefore he has stride length, but he's not an explosive athlete the way you think of the guys that can get vertical. Yeah, Greg, this team, we're talking about a team that can't pass block and has very limited speed at wide receiver, and they lead the NFL in 20-plus yard targets by a wide margin. Remember, they, they are not getting a lot of snaps either. Total no. snaps, they're down. They're 31st in the league in total snaps, and they're first in 20-plus yard throws by a big margin. They had 39 offensive snaps this week, which is unheard of in the NFL. I know the last time I saw any, I, I love it. I mean, I, I don't love it for them, but I love it for – me putting the film on. I wish every me game. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but the last time I saw that, there was a game in, I think it was a London game, Jacksonville against Baltimore about seven years ago or so. Blake Bortles, they had 36 snaps in that game. I don't think I've seen anything under 40 since then, though. Yeah. As soon as I see an eight as the first digit, oh. I just get, I just get sad right away. <laughs> it, yeah. That's it, tough. Every If every game could be between 52 and 62 snaps that'd be just that would be beautiful that would be absolutely beautiful but so you know just finishing up on Tennessee you know it I think they counted on their defense and they've had some injuries for sure and some new players to work in but I think they counted on their defense for whatever this means it's just a number to be a top five type defense in the league you know which they do have the kind of personnel you think that can be dominant at times and that just hasn't worked out either. They've had numerous injuries in the secondary. Some young players uh, like Christian Fulton have not quite developed the way they had hoped. Um, so, you know, he's their right corner. There was yep. even a time a number of weeks ago where there was talk that maybe he needed to sit down for a game or two. They didn't do that just because they don't really have anybody to replace him with. Um you know, as, as people may recall, they drafted Farley from Virginia Tech a few years ago in the first round, and he's never really played meaningfully for them. His career, because of injury, could well be over. Um, so they, they just – the secondary has really been a little bit of an issue for them, and it's really hard in this league when your secondary is a problem. I mean, I remember speaking with a, a defensive coordinator um, – uh, not that long ago. It's probably before the season. And he, you know, you have great conversations with different coaches and they all say things a little bit differently and uh, they always resonate. I know you, you get the same opportunity and when they say it, you kind of go, Oh yeah. But they say it in a way that you didn't quite think of it that way, even though it then becomes obvious to you, but you didn't just quite think of it that way. And I spoke with this coach and he said to me that, the way the game is played now, corner is the most important position on defense. Um, you can you can scheme pressure, but you can't hide bad corner play. Well, that's one thing I feel like Tennessee, if any team's come close to doing that over the years, it's been Tennessee with some of their coverage rotations, the way they get to different split safety coverages. They'll initiate out of quarters, get to different cover two. 
you know, if any team has been close to hiding its corners while still being kind of a scheme pressure team, and I know Tennessee's not big on blitzing, but they're big on schemed pressure, if you will. Simulated they're big on, on what people call sim pressure or zone exchange yeah. pressure with four-man pressures where the fourth guy is either a linebacker or a defensive back. Correct, yeah, and they'll drop a guy, they'll bring another guy, and a lot of times when they stunt, it's multiple layers of stunts and multiple yes. gaps. They're a highly schemed pass rush with a lot of coverage rotation. They've been able to fool teams on offense pretty well for a long time. I don't feel like they're doing that the same way this season. They've had some moments, but I don't think of them right now as an elite moving pieces defense like they've been in recent years. No, and you're right, because I always thought that Shane Bowen did a great job in terms of disguise and late rotation to get to cover two. Um, yep. To get to cover two, whether it was invert or just plain cover two, and he'd have different people, different players who were the middle hole defender in cover two. You weren't really sure who was who as an offense. And, you know, people sometimes lose track that when there's late rotation and the quarterback takes the snap, he has maybe a second to see all that. It's not as if, you know, he's sitting like you and I with a clicker and we can watch it 10 times. He has a second to figure that out. And I thought that Shane Bowen did a phenomenal job with that. I remember, I think it was last year when they, he caught, um, uh, Justin Herbert with it early in a game on a, on a third down where he uh, late rotation to cover two and he took away where Herbert wanted to go with the ball, which was Keenan Allen on a seam throw. And they ended up with a sack, I believe by Autry, but you're right. right. Maybe new players injuries, you know, don't forget when you do a lot of late rotation and he, you know, one guy is wrong and it could be a 60 yard touchdown. Yeah, you're right. That that play, by the way, that, that was week two of this year from the Charger game that they, they played. I know the one you're talking oh, was, about. Oh, it was week two of this year, yeah. yeah. I mean, one I started, you know. Coverage, one of the best coverage rotation snaps in the league so far this season still. Yeah, so you know the play I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, it was I think it might have been the first third down. It was, yep, it was. The yeah, first it was the first third game. down. I thought it was a masterful job the way he got to it and he wanted to hit it. I, re- I can see the play. He wanted to hit Allen, Justin Herbert, that is, uh, on the seam to the right, and he just took it away. And you could see Herbert drop back, look right at Keenan Allen, and said, oh, that throw is not there. And then the, the four-man pressure got to him. What's What's funny is uh, now I want to go look at, because the, the play you and I were watching right before we recorded the podcast was the first third down of the game this last week. I, I now I want to go watch all their first third downs, because I bet they do a lot of it's third and long, I bet they're really aggressive with some of their coverage rotations on those. That's a great point. That's down. a great point. Um, you know, and just getting to coverages in general, I, you know, to me, it's it's becoming harder and harder to sit and, and truly say what some coverages are. I mean, obviously, there's some basic ones you just see and you go, oh, that's cover three. Oh, that's quarters. But teams are doing so much more. And the one thing that's really sometimes for me causing a, a problem just in how I try to decide what it is, is you're seeing more teams rush six now and they're not playing zero. Okay. Cause normally you think rush six, you're, you're playing cover zero. That was old school stuff. That's the way it used to be, but it's not like that anymore. Now teams might rush six and they're legitimately six rushers. It's not a green dog where one of the rushers adds in because the back protects. It's truly a six man pressure so they only have five in coverage. So there has to be all kinds of potential matching principles to it because they're not playing true zero where they're just matching up to each receiver in a man in a man to man way. And trying to figure out sometimes what those those zone match principles are, I, sometimes I, I just can't do it. 
it, it's difficult because if you're playing zone with five guys, it can't possibly just be zone. The, the zones are right. too big for that. So right, right. It, it, it's going to so it's zone max it. somewhere along the line. Yep. And so I'm actually, I did a study on this recently, Greg, what you're talking about. I don't even know the name. I mean, everyone's got different names. I've been calling it rush six fire zone where it's three deep, two under. Sometimes you get four deep, one under once in a while, but it's usually three deep, two under. And defenses this season have done it about three times as much as last season overall. Wow. Yeah. It's a rising tactic in 20. I got the numbers 2022. They did it 138 times all season long. I know one guy that's done it a long time is Matt Eberflus. And I actually texted Matt about that. And you know, you know how every time you text a coach, Greg, with a, hey, you're doing this, you're the new guy doing that. He always tells you the name of some coach from 50 years ago that was doing it, that he'd learned it. For, you know, no coach has ever done it the first time. But Eberflus Well, it's so funny you say that. Can I jump in with a very yeah, quick anecdote? Yeah, When course. I wrote the book with Ron Jaworski and Dave Plout here at NFL Films a number of years ago, you know how Dick LeBeau was always thought of as the guy that that pioneered the the, the zone blitz. And yes. I, so one of the chapters in our in our book was on the the, the uh, San Diego Chargers of the 1960s with Sid Gilman, who's considered the father of the modern day passing game, and they scored a ton of points. And we did, I believe, the 1963 uh, AFL championship game, and they beat the the Patriots, I believe. So anyway, I was fortunate enough to get actually coaching tape from, I think, the Boston Sports Hall of Fame. And I'm watching the Patriots, the 1963 Patriots defense, and I see a zone blitz. Exactly a a, a perfect zone blitz, the way we talk about them now, where two guys come from, you know, the second level, one side and overload, five-man pressure. They drop out the defensive end on the other side, and I'm sitting there going, that's a zone blitz, and it's 1963. But – yeah, so just to play off what you said, it's so yeah. true. Well, and it's what you know what's funny too, because the other day, so, so on these rush six fire zones, there was one coach I know who I'd heard privately, he told his assistants, he said, We're never gonna run this because I want to be able to tell my wife why I got I can't explain to my wife that I got fired for running this. That was his point. Right, 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 right. He thinks it's nuts to play zone coverage with five guys. That's how you give up 40 yard passes. I saw his defense do it. And I thought, oh, my, even this guy's kind of hopped the fence on it. So I texted an assistant of his, and the assistant said, well, we don't actually have that in our – he said, you, you definitely saw it on film. We don't actually have it in our call sheet or in our playbook. Someone blew an assignment, though, and it came out looking like we rushed six on a fire zone. So every once in a while, some of these really innovative tactics come from mistakes as well, as, as you know. Not saying that's, that's the one – the other thing you don't know. So all you yeah. can do – is when you watch tape is assume that no one made a mistake and then try to figure out what it is. But the, these coverages now, there's so many combo coverages, mixed coverages, hybrid yeah. coverages, whatever term you want to use. And, you know, I always think to myself, God, I wish I had the bat phone right to the coach, like right at that moment. And he would answer and he could just tell me exactly what it is. Yeah. It would save you a lot of time, a lot of time and headache. Um, 138 of those rush six fire zone snaps in 2022 at the midway point, because I did this study entering week nine, basically, there were 250 already. That's uh, and, and actually, Minnesota alone had done uh, another 132. That does not count. The 250-plus Minnesota is at, what's that, 380-something. So 382. I mean, it's a huge number, and I think we've seen more of them still in recent weeks. More teams are doing it. Um, that guy, Eberflus, cited, by the way, he said it's Pat Narduzzi from Pitt 
who is he's Eberflus sees him doing it more. He was kind of one of the originators. Anyway, it's always someone. Narduzzi, by the way, because I'm familiar with him and I'm familiar with how they play at Pitt. He is a big quarters guy. That's his starting structure. Pat Narduzzi is a big quarters guy. Interesting. Interesting. He came out. I so I was going to ask you about this, and I figured you're not going to want to talk about it, but I find it interesting because I saw Pat Narduzzi today made a comment about the the sign stealing debate that's going on in college football with the whole Michigan thing. Do you have any opinion on any of that? With with steel and signs, and I and I know NFL is different because they got the helmets with the they have the radios in the helmet. But do you care one way or another about sign stealing? Theoretically, it's almost a Spygate conversation a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I haven't given it a lot of thought to be honest with you. Um, you know, so I mean, he, here's the way I, I feel about not that in particular because I haven't given it a lot of thought. But I always feel that coaches. They they know other coaches well. So I, I always feel like there's not a lot of surprises in the NFL. You're not winning games or, or having a positive play because you tricked the other team or you fooled them or you did something that they have no idea about. I mean, you know, I remember I had an opportunity to talk to an offensive coordinator uh, this year there was that I know, and there was a particular play that I wanted to ask him about. And as soon as I mentioned the play, of course, he knew it immediately. And I know him well enough. He gave me the details of the play. But he immediately said to me, and this is the kind of stuff that, you know, you and I are one person. We we can't do this kind of work. But he immediately said to me, oh, yeah, we had seen prior to that in the high red zone to, um, you, you know, that they had gone zero. So we, we knew we were going to get zero on that play. So, we, you know, they know so much anyway is my point. You know, yeah. so again, I'm not saying it's it's okay or right or wrong. I, I don't know the details of it at all. So I, I'm not gonna discuss it because then I'd just be talking out of my you know what. But you know, I think that coaches they they have a really good feel for what they're going to get. Don't you agree with that? Hundred percent hundred percent. And I know I, I have seen several of these. Uh and I would I would I would bet that every team, every team has someone with these on it, binders of uh, team a has a binder and here's every other team's signals we got pictures of it and yeah video clips. teams are tracking signals already these signals are occurring in front of a hundred thousand people in a stadium someone's tracking them somehow so uh, the whole idea of sign stealing change your signals once in a while too i'm also surprised how many teams keep the same signals for many years on end um but anyway, I just thought I'd get you. I know, the other thing is that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's to me, all this stuff's kind of an open book anyway, you know. So, I, I you know, I don't know exactly where to go with that, you know. But Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, to, the, to the online sleuths that are looking at the Michigan stuff, this Connor Stallions guy, you know, these pictures of him talking to the coaches, he's not wearing a headset on any of them. If this were that sophisticated of an operation – Right, he'd be on the headset with those guys. They're not. They're not. They're having to remove their headset to listen to him every once in a while. Uh, anyway, all right, sign stealing. We're good. I can't believe you. I thought you actually would pass on the whole thing altogether, Greg. I can't believe we even got you to discuss it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't have any comment on that in particular, but I just it led me to think that just in conversations I've had that coaches kind of know what they're getting. You know, coaches coach against coaches for the most part, um, and you know. You talk to coaches and you hear, oh, yeah, they they do this on third down. You know, we know we're getting that. And and they're right. They know, you know, I can't tell you how many times I watch plays 
and it attacks, you know, if I'm watching offense, let's say, and the play design clearly attacked that specific defense on that play. And I just know that they knew they were getting – that's not like a maybe. They knew they were getting that defense in that situation. I've I've heard a story of a big, big time coach that had a guy designated. His job was to watch the signals on every snap in about 80% of the snaps. He would call him as an offensive coach. This guy would call him the coverage. Hey coach, they're running cover three. And coach would look at his cover three sheet. Hey coaches, quarters on this next one. They know the coverage heading into the call a lot of times. The other thing yeah. is a lot of times what you'll see the signals, you'll see a quarterback make a really uh, uh, gesticulate aggressively a signal, and that's because the offense has studied their own signals. Hey, what does the defense know that we have? What has shown up on TV? And one week they'll install a, a play that's designed to exploit it. Hey, we're going to throw a screen on this signal, and then we're going to fake the screen later in the season on that same signal and throw deep. You see that kind of thing all the time as well. Um, yeah, and you know, if I could change the subject, there's one thing this past week. I don't know if you got a chance to see it yet, and but I thought it was really good. Did you get a chance to see the Chiefs, uh, the uh, Eagles D versus the Chiefs O? I'm watching it tonight. I have not seen it. Well, I thought Sean Desai, who's the first year coordinator uh, with the the Eagles, and he was with the Bears, was he not under Vic Fangio? Uh, he replaced Fangio in in Chicago for a year. Yeah. Yep. Um. I thought he did an absolutely. He replaced Pagano. I, I misspoke. Pagano replaced Fangio. Desai replaced Pagano. But okay. I thought he did, and I'll be very curious when you do watch it, what you think. It took me a really long time to watch it, way longer than I really had the time. But, yeah. you know you know how sometimes there's a game or, or something that just you're fascinated by it, and you end up taking more notes than you want to take, and you watch it longer than you really have the time for I thought he did a masterful job, and the bye week I'm sure helped, a masterful job of just changing up looks, personnel, coverages. I would bet that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes just did not have a real tendency feel for what they were going to get in that game. And I'd be very curious when you do watch it if you feel the same way. Interesting. That's good. I know he, you know, the Eagles also did a really good job against the Dolphins offense, and that was a few I weeks thought so ago. too. Another high-profile game. Everyone's watching primetime, and Miami was rolling coming in, and, and that was as good a film defensively. as. But, I, but I, to me, that game was more of we have a specific way we want to play them as opposed to we're going to change up snap after snap. Gotcha. So they were – yeah, because they were very cover two. Or, yeah, you're right. They, they had were very split safety-oriented in that game. Yeah, did um, they not do that against Kansas City? Was it, Well, it was at times. They did a lot of – that's my point, is they did a lot of things. And, I mean, if you if you look at the last drive, and, again, people will say that, well, if, if Valdez-Scantling catches that ball, which he should have, of course, then maybe the Chiefs win the game. And, and you know, maybe it's a different conversation. But it doesn't take away from the process. And you and I are process guys when it comes to this. On, on that final drive, the first five or six plays, different personnel packages, different coverages. I mean, it was. I just thought, and he did this throughout the game. And, and again, when you play Patrick Mahomes, who's such a great player and an incredibly smart player, I think you try to do those things. And the other thing, it's not just Mahomes you're dealing with. He's got young receivers. And when receivers have to work through what the coverage is as they're running their routes, yeah. that disrupts everything. Uh, so... I, I just really thought it was it was just brilliant 
brilliant coaching by, and he's still a young coach. Yeah, no, he is. He's uh, he is young, and he was under Fangio, by the way. I said he replaced him, but he'd been he replaced him from in house. So yeah, he comes right, from the right, school. right. School. He'd been with Pagano a little bit. Um, yeah, that last play, uh, Watson had a chance to catch a fourth and twenty five or whatever it was. They were. I only saw it on. I saw the Monday Night Live for a little bit on that game. Were they, were they in a single high concept on that one? Do you remember? You know, and I'm going to be honest with you, because it was fourth and twenty-five, I kind of just let that play roll over me because I didn't think they were going to convert it. You know, I, I watched every play. I mean, to be honest with you, you know how long it took me to watch that. First of all, there were eighty plays, so that was that was a problem in and of itself. Um, it probably took me four hours just to watch that side of the ball, and it never takes me four hours to watch one side of a ball. Yeah, that's tough. I know you and I share film notes. I might. Uh ask you to send me your film notes a couple days early so I don't spend four hours myself. Uh, oh, my. I mean, but I think you'll enjoy it because I think it was a coach's game. You know, it was a, it was a really tactical game. And, and even with that, you still don't know every, you know, detail because you're not in the meeting rooms. But I just thought he did a, a really, really good job. Yeah, that's interesting. It's good. Um, other thing I wanted to ask you, hard transition again, Denver Broncos. Are we buying or selling the Broncos on their hot streak right now? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think their defense has clearly played better that, you know, obviously after that 70, whatever, 20 game against Miami, you know, and then they, I think they had another bad one after that, but their defense has come around quite a bit. They're playing a lot of young players. Um, you know, Vance Joseph's been in the league a long time. You know, he's not a young coordinator trying to figure it out. So, you know, I think they've, they settled in a bit, um, defensively and how they want to play. Um, Offensively, in some ways, given that it's Sean Payton, one could argue they're more old school than new school. I think that they run the ball. Javante Adams is one of those physical foundation type backs that three yard runs become six yard runs. Um, Russell Wilson is not throwing a lot relative to what a lot of quarterbacks in this league do. He's not dropping back 40 or 45 times a game. So their offense is, is for want of a better term, a balanced approach. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the defense has to continue to play at a high level. I'm not sure offensively, unless they keep, they keep expanding, you know, first year with Sean Payton and, and Russell Wilson together, unless they keep expanding offensively and they do have some meaningful weapons on the outside. Um, I don't know if the way they're playing right now is sustainable over a long period of time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The last I'm looking at the the numbers now to the last four weeks on normal down and distance. So that's that just means first and second down, no two minute, no goal line stuff. Right. They run the ball a league high sixty percent of the time on first and that's second. That's what they down are. The four weeks. Yeah. Well, it is recently. Earlier in the year, I don't think they were quite playing that same way. They were. Well, I, I, I think, think. You know, and again, we, we let the film tell us the story. I think that. At this point in his career, and one could argue maybe he's been that way his whole career. He's just been on teams that were great in so many areas. I don't know if Russell Wilson is a lead dog quarterback in the way that, you know, Mahomes is, Burrow is when healthy, Josh Allen is, you know, the guys that you can drop back 40 times and they could be the foundation and starting point of everything you do offensively. I don't know if Russell Wilson is that guy. There's too many plays when I watch tape, and it's been that way even in Seattle, where it's clear because he is 5'10", that he doesn't see it. 
He doesn't pull the trigger. You and I have had this conversation at the Combine for years. We've even had the opportunity to talk to some of their coaches uh, at the Combine. And, you know, there are just certain things he doesn't see. It's hard to sustain often. If you're going to throw a lot, drop back a lot, your pass game has to be sustaining because you can't, you're not living on 40 yard plays if you're dropping back 40 times a game. Yeah. You have to have a lot of five yard pass plays too. And I don't know if, if that's really what Russell Wilson's game is. No, I don't think it's ever been his game. Weeks one through seven, by the way, they were 23rd in, in uh, run rate, Greg. They're now first the last four weeks. And I think yes, Wilson. It- Stylistic, I think he's always been a quarterback, and it's not a knock on the guy necessarily either. It's a stylistic commentary uh, when when he's complemented by a run game, even a run-first approach, if you will. Yep. His particular skill set lends itself really nicely to that, moving the pocket, deeper downfield throws that come off of some of your run looks. You know, that's Russell Wilson's game. He's not going to play the way, with a quick game in the pocket. It, isn't Sean Payton telling us that's his game? Because he's it's his first year. So he went through the first four or five weeks or whatever number of weeks it was, you know, maybe trying to play a little differently. And then he realized this is what my quarterback is. Like you said, it's not a negative. This is what he is. So now I'm tailoring my offense to what he is. And this is what our offense will look like because this is the way it can be most efficient. You know, that's yeah. – so Sean Payton is telling us that you and I don't have to interpret that. One thing that can that one thing, by the way, did you see the Minnesota tape from their game the other night? I did not yet. No. One thing, if you get to one thing, I thought they did I will. a good job of. Okay, and Wilson, I thought did a really good job with it. They they had a lot of quick answers built into the designs where the checkdown presented itself pretty efficiently, and right. Wilson, you could tell, was buying it because that's not necessarily been his game either. He's not going to hit it and check it down. He's going to scramble before he checks down a lot, or he used to for a long time. But you could tell, they, I think they probably drilled that in because Minnesota, you're going to get a bunch of different fronts. The picture is going to be way different after the snap with those guys. Yeah. You're going to have to have answers for checking it down. The one thing that concerns me, Greg, and actually showed up in the Vikings game, they had trouble with Minnesota's three-man rush on too many snaps. The guys on the edges are not playing well, in my opinion. Garrett Bowles and Mike McGlinchey handling the power rush. And that's one thing I don't see you overcoming that if you're the Broncos with a quarterback like Wilson, if his pocket's going to start collapsing or closing around him from the edges, you know, he's not climbing it. So now what happens? Right. And McGlinchey's had that problem for a number of years. Yeah. That's why he's not a 49er. That is correct. Um, But I loved your point about the checkdowns because, you know, ultimately you want to be able, you don't want to get stuck if, if you don't see it the right way. With, with Wilson just sort of getting stuck in the pocket and then trying to to run. You want to at least have a five-yard play as opposed to a, an eight-yard loss or an incompletion. You know, so, you know, that's a really good point. And, and your point about the Vikings, I think they lead the league both in blitz percentage and three-man rushes, uh, which is a really interesting dilemma there or dichotomy, I should say. Yeah, no, we, we talked about that last week. The only guy that's that right. That's right. We did. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Greg Williams for the Saints for a lot of years. Yeah, we did. Doing it. No one's done. And by the way, they don't they they lead the league by a huge margin in both of those. They're 46% blitz on pass downs. Uh, I forget the number. 20, I think it's 22% rush three on pass downs. Those are big. Whoever's number two is way back from those guys. That's how Minnesota plays. But they got a, you know, they, they gave up a little bit of space underneath too. That's why those checkdowns 
were there. And that's one thing sure. I wonder about with the Vikings defense is the integrity of the second level of the defense, whether we saw that run defense issue against Philadelphia early in the year where they lined up with five across and the Eagles said, okay, okay, we'll run the ball on you. And we've seen it now in some of these, we talked about the three over two under fire zones at the beginning of our conversation here. Minnesota does that a ton as well. You know, I think they've been a little bit hit or miss at the second level. They put a lot of stress on those second level defenders or something. They do. They really do. It's, 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 and, and they're another team and, and more and more teams. And I keep trying to figure out why. Okay. And, you know, we, on the 33rd team, it was discussed briefly a number of weeks ago, but so many teams are playing big nickel with three safeties. It, it's, that's just going through the entire league now. And, you know, sometimes you even see it versus 11 personnel, three wide receivers on first yeah. and 10, and what would be viewed as normal down and distance situations. And, you know, I just keep trying to figure out why is this becoming such a big thing? Because so many teams are doing it, Andy. Yeah, no, it's, in fact, it's right before we hopped on, I was doing a study on uh, nickel personnel against tw- uh, two tight end sets, 12 personnel. For the first time in history, we're over 50% five DBs or more against 12 personnel across the league. It's 52% nickel. Now. And a lot of that, though, is big nickel. It's three safeties. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, we're talking any DBs here, five, six, seven DBs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the guy, so Josh Metellus for Minnesota might be the most positionless player in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, he is. No, he's the guy. I mean, he's technically a safety, but he's used in so many different ways. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I kind I mean, of view that as big nickel. Yeah, that's that's who I assumed you're talking about when you bring up big yeah. nickel. We're talking Minnesota. He, I mean, he plays defensive line, linebacker, safety for them. You know, they do a lot of different things, but guys like that across the league, yeah, it'd be interesting to ask ask defensive, I'd love to ask five or six of them that play that, why do you do it? I'm, you know, we know some of the answers. They want to have kind of a mid-answer for the run and the pass with these teams. Uh, when You get offenses that play 11. But I think it's got to be more than that. They, you know, it, right. it, there's reasons we don't know because it's got to be more than that. It's 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 not as simple as saying, oh, you want you want a guy who can cover a tight end, or you want you know, and or coaches who then say, well, then you can run the ball on him. No, it, it you can't. It doesn't work th- that simply. There's more. There's deeper reasons why. Yeah, one thing I've wondered: some of those guys are really affordable contract. I remember Adrian Phillips when he was with the pay. He's still a Patriot, but he, he's still a he Patriot. The page, yeah, but when he joined the Patriots, he like he was kind of at the front and cutting edge of this this big hybrid. And this You're right, because not a lot of teams did it back, you know, those years ago. Yeah, he and he did it with the Chargers as well. And he was more of a dime linebacker type. But the point is, right. the safeties that can play the quasi linebacker role, which is kind of you're talking about that a little bit too. We talked Jamal Adams playing the slot in Seattle a few weeks ago. Some of those guys, and Adams is not the right example, but some of those guys have really affordable contracts. And I wonder if there's a market, you know, inefficiency there. This The slot corners across the league are paid a lot less than you would guess. They're paid less than half of what the elite corners are paid. I know, and to me, it's such an important position. I, I know there are teams that feel the slot, and I actually heard Ozzie Newsom said this 15 years ago in Baltimore. He, they, they said, I think it was, uh, there was a, maybe when they drafted Landry they had there were two Landry's right there was a Landry for Washington and then didn't he have a brother that played for Baltimore they were both safeties well Laron Landry was Washington yeah I think I'll look at that but anyway they drafted a safety and Ozzie Newsom said they they valued the slot corner 
more than the safety. And that was way back years ago. The yeah, first I ever and, heard anyone say anything like important. that. Yeah. It's so important. And and I wonder why in the draft it's not viewed as something that, hey, we need to get a slot corner. And the teams that don't have a good one, I think they, they get hurt a lot. I mean, it, it it's hard to play without a good slot corner. Yeah, those guys are everywhere, especially early downs where you're getting the quick passing game and those guys yep. are run fit responsibilities. It was Dewan Landry, by the way, 2006 for the Ravens, fifth round pick. That's when I heard that. Wow, th- there you go. Yeah, yeah. And apologies to Dewan and and Leron if they're if they're yep. listening. Other thing on on Minnesota, Greg, Josh Dobbs buying or selling the hype on Josh Dobbs right now. I mean, you know, you have to be super impressed with what he's done. Um, you know, I think the movement element of his game is a factor. Uh, you know, teams specifically have to deal with movement. I know that the, you know, I didn't watch the tape yet this week, but I imagine um, that the Broncos did spy him because the Broncos had spied Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. So I imagine they did spy him. Did you watch that tape? Yeah, they, they did. They spied him with the linebacker a few times. One thing that was interesting is Minnesota did not get into their boot game with Dobbs this week for whatever interesting. reason. They, they um, very few point- snaps of it. The larger point being that, you know, quarterbacks that can move dictate that defenses play a certain way. Um, I know because I watched him against New Orleans the week prior, and New Orleans clearly spied him with Pete Werner many times on third down and on a few other selected situations as well. Like I said, I'm sure Denver did because they'd been using number 42, Nick Benito, as a spy when they played Josh Allen, when they played Patrick Mahomes. And I can't imagine they wouldn't have done it to Josh Dobbs. So it changes the way you play defense. And I think that 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 does factor in. Um, You know, I don't think he's a great thrower. Um, You know, I think that at times his ball placement leaves a little to be desired on some routine throws. Um, But can you line up and play with him? Yeah, you sure can. Um, You know, I'm not one of those people. Well, it'll go away. And, and, you know, you you hear that a lot with with quote unquote backup quarterbacks. You know, after three games, they're done. Well, you know, I thought in, in Arizona and I got to see a decent amount of him, amazingly enough. Is he great? Of course not. Is he a great thrower? No. But I think you can line up and play with him. I, I agree. I thought he was solid in Arizona. I was really surprised when that yeah. move was made. And maybe that had a little some big picture elements to it as well. Yep. I didn't think he was playing poorly necessarily for the Cardinals. Um, the thing about we can get out of here on this, Greg, but one thing I think we need to make sure we convey is when we think of spying the quarterback, there's a tendency to think, well, he's a mobile quarterback. He scrambles and runs. We don't want him to run for 40 yards. So we're going to have someone follow him and make him, you know, limit the runs. That's a little bit, that's a big part of spying, of course. But I know I've had defensive coaches explain to me there are other parts of why you would spy. One of them being mobile quarterbacks change their launch point so much. They're not going to just stay in the pocket. They're going to throw from different positions. Right. If you spy, you ensure that you've got a pass rush element to follow those different launch points your QB still has to deal with the spy in front of him when he's trying to throw the ball outside the pocket. It's not just that he's going to scramble or not scramble, whether that spy blitzes from there or just is a body in a passing lane to discourage certain throws. It's not just purely about limiting a quarterback's That's a great scrambling point. yards. It's about limiting a quarterback's overall mobility. That's a great point. That's a really good point because, you know, the quarterback can see the spy and that probably in his mind limits some things he can do. And, you know, that's the other factor because the spy is not necessarily for the guys you're 
who are being used as spies versus the quality of athlete the quarterback is. The quarterback's a better athlete. So he's not necessarily going to just run him down like it's easy. So yeah. so it can't be that. There has to be other reasons. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, and look at the number of teams that we see that spy the quarterback. I know like the, the Jets against Buffalo spied a lot in that game. And it was your guy Bryce Huff spying at times. Yeah, Bryce Huff spied a good amount. I watched that tape, yeah. The, the Jets are not sacrificing one of their best pass rushers because they believe that that defensive lineman can can take down the QB in space. They're doing that because they believe that's the best way to use him in a pass rush capacity to some degree, given that quarterback's proclivity to move. Right. The people who say, oh, you're wasting a player, while well, the defensive coaches that are doing that are not thinking in terms that they're wasting a player. Exactly. Yes. Right. Exactly right. right. So. Yeah. Good. All right. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you go. You let me go. I'll let you go. We'll get back to to watching the football. I appreciate you, Greg. And uh, go ahead. If you're listening, hit that subscribe button behind the screen podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. 